2: taking it to a uh, do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZD Community show and this show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us. It helps others find our shows. My name's Michael Steindl and today I'm joined by my co-host Kay Winningle.
0: Hi, Mike. Hi, listeners.
2: And Natalie Bucknell.
0: Hello, everybody.
2: It's a, a source of great delight today to see our federal politicians in the lead-up to this federal election picking up the theme of making Australia a renewable energy superpower. Um, and not only them, but uh, Professor Garno's series of talks are those that have been attending them either in person or via the web. As many of you will know, this term, this meme, was first introduced by BZE with the release of our report of that title four years ago launched by Professor Ross himself. BZE reports have always been well ahead of the curve. Just look at the BZE stationary energy plan, showing how Australia could get to 100% renewable energy within 10 years. It was launched in 2010 by Malcolm Turnbull himself, who said it provides the most comprehensive technical blueprint yet for what our engineers, our scientists, can begin to do for us tomorrow, a zero-emission future is absolutely essential if we are to leave a safe planet to our children and generations that come after them.
0: Or the example of the BZE repairing Port Augusta Report, which was released in 2012 and taken up by the South Australian Government in 2016. This was when the town's coal-fired power station was due to close, taking with it an important source of electricity as well as local jobs. The repairing Port Augusta Report in 2012 showed how to replace the two coal-fired power stations with concentrated solar thermal.
2: And look at the BZD report into high-speed rail in 2014, which many experts are saying should have been built by now to ease congestion and pollution. Quoting, We should bite the bullet and go for a high-speed rail connection not just through to Sydney but right through to Melbourne and then through to Brisbane, Labor Federal Infrastructure Spokesman Mr Albanese said in February. Now Labor has announced they put... They put $1 to buy up land for the project if elected. They will put, sorry, to to buy up project for the land if elected.
0: And look at the Beyond Zero Emissions Electric Vehicles report in 2016 that showed that the shift to 100% electric vehicles in Australia is both feasible and affordable within 10 years and that it would provide a range of environmental, health and other benefits to the economy. Guess what? Labor's now called what it has an ambitious electric vehicle policy that aims for 50% of all new cars added, sold in Australia to be electric by 2030. And in two years' time, perhaps, we'll be talking about the Electrifying Industry Report. He's hoping. Even sooner than that, would yeah. yeah,
2: a, a vital part, of course, of, of reducing our emissions. So to discuss the BZE Renewable Energy Superpower Report, we have Gerard Drew, who was the author, the original author of the report. Jared uh, is currently working with Summit Energy. Hi, Jared. Thanks for joining us. Hi there, Michael. Pleasure to be here. Firstly, and Kay, tell us- of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Firstly, tell us a bit about your background, Jared. What led you to evaluating Australia's prospects as a renewable energy superpower?
1: Uh, my background, I I studied as an aeronautical engineer and uh, spent a lot of time actually participating in vehicle design and development before taking a career. Redirection, and uh, worked with BZE for four years in various aspects of research. Transport, obviously that's where I started, coming from a transport background and then shifted into this very important economic realm of energy and
2: exports that this country has really uh, suckered to. Mm, and you've made a very valuable contribution. We want to revisit that, that contribution, the Australia Becoming a Renewable Energy Superpower premise and, and report, And we'd like to do that in two parts. First, we want to look at and try to quantify with you how much renewable energy Australia has available for viable harvesting um, and how that compares to the rest of the world. And then secondly, we want to look at the possibilities of exporting that energy. So to the first half of that question, how much renewable energy does Australia have? And more importantly, how much can we economically harvest Recognising that means being near major energy sinks or pipelines and not in national parks and so on. The
1: really short answer to that question is an unfathomably large amount of energy. I mean, if, if you really looked at the at the continent as a whole, I mean, obviously we are, we know it as a sunburnt country for, for good reason. I mean, it's just too much energy to do anything useful with. Um, even when we truncate that down vastly to a, you know, a very narrow corridor around our existing electricity infrastructure and we eliminate all those sensitive areas of vegetation and, and what have you. I mean, we're still left with, it was pointed out in the report, was 5,000 exajoules. If anyone has has looked up the scale far enough to see what an exajoule is, it's, it's an ex- extremely Massive, large amount lot of, zeros. of energy. Yeah. <laughs> <Many> so, <laughs> that's 10 that to that
2: 3 terawatts, is, tera is 10 to 3 megawatts, isn't it?
1: Yes, that's right, and it's, it's, it's far more than we could digest in this country, with with what we do, and you know, we could do much for the world with that energy, and still have tons left over. And is that both solar and wind? That's solar and wind. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that's that's you know that's what we measured in the report that could be produced at, at an economical rate. That's not even all of the you know meager resources that that, that fall into that's the economically that area.
2: viable, harvestable. That's
1: and
0: right. how does that compare with other countries around the world?
1: Well, it's it's, it's interesting. You know what what this represents really the shift from uh, fossil energy resources to renewables is uh, it's, kind of, it's, a, it's really a paradigm shift in terms of energy because the, that that old system was uh, based on a finite number of deposits placed here and there, you know, in very particular locations, and some people were very fortunate to have it in, within their territory, and others were not. And with renew- shifting to renewables, you know, it's it's really a blessing that every single nation has a considerable energy resource at their disposal. Now, not all equivalent. You know, Australia is really fortunate that we have a huge area to harvest this, this energy, and it doesn't really conflict too much with our other uses of land where, where we could harvest it. You know, other countries like Japan, for instance, they're, they're very much constrained. You know, the resources primarily are not as good, uh, and also they're access to using those is is even more constrained so they have access to to renewable resources but not as much access as as we do so you know that's that's really our advantage into the future of ha- having very easy access to extremely high quality resources
0: and how is it distributed within australia
1: it's everywhere <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> Every so there's day. no
0: regions in australia that would would worry about not being able to use Renewable energy
1: not not at all you know there's there's better places than others obviously the the wind industry raced into South Australia for good reason there's there's very good wind resources in that in that state, also in Victoria, not so fabulous in New South Wales in terms of wind, but more more sun than one could tolerate without. Getting uh, severely burned.
2: I do remember that story years ago of the Germans coming over to look at the Australian renewable energy and they were on the west coast of Tassie which is our worst spot in the nation and they said this was better than their best spot that's, and, that's, and look at what they've done with correct. solar. That's So what's the current state of play, Jared? How, how much electricity do we produce?
1: The whole country uses about 220,000 odd gigawatt hours a year yeah. of electricity.
2: Mm-hmm. And and that I think has been fairly constant in recent years. In fact, even gone down slightly. And uh, I think something like twenty one percent of that is renewable, somewhere around that figure. That's right. And renewable energy in the pipeline. Currently, there is a number of projects, aren't there?
1: Ah, uh, there is a ton of projects out there that are all fighting to get access to the grid and having various struggles in being permitted. Uh, but yeah, I think it's it's over ten gigawatts of of project capacity that's waiting in the pipeline.
0: Mm, With about 13,000 jobs to go along with it. So it's a great (laughs) opportunity for jobs.
1: And so that's on top of the existing 20% or so of the
0: existing electricity that's already renewable.
1: That's right. The the, the projects in train would swamp what's already in the grid.
0: So how much uh, renewable electricity do you think we'll need in the future?
1: All of it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, when we're talking no, about th- not, the electric not
0: all vehicles, the... um, electrifying industry, displacing gas.
1: Yeah, I mean, the amount that we have at our disposal, if we choose to harvest it, is, you know, more mm. than we could ever imagine what to do with. But certainly we have this 200-odd gigawatt hours of, of electricity that we use. Mm. But there are other applications that use different sources of energy, which are readily convertible to electricity that can...
2: Um, and must be for the, for the future.
1: That's right. I mean, there, there are other zero-carbon ways of producing and, and using electricity, but electricity is really the most versatile medium mm-hmm. of energy, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's very convenient for, across the board in, in industry, in, in transport, and in stationary purposes, you know, for a variety of end uses, el- electricity is just the most flexible source of energy. So
2: so from the BZE reports, uh, your renewable, the RESP report, Renewable Energy Superpowers, our abbreviation, and the the SEP report, the Stationary Energy report, we were saying, I think, that, that if we allow that 200,000 gigawatt hours and perhaps 50% improvement is the estimate, uh, or 50% increase on that to allow for the combination of growth and electrification of industry. But you're actually saying we can go well beyond that, aren't you? That that not only can we supply all of that current usage and 50%, but we can actually have excess available for other industries, for export.
1: We certainly we, we certainly have that option available to us. There's so much energy showering down on us day in and day out. But, but really what, what determines whether we use that or not is uh if if we have the, the end uses to to apply it to and, and really that comes down to our, our our place in the world for for production and for for use of that energy. And what determines that is how competitive you are compared to your neighbours on on in the globe. And what want to be. Yeah. That's right. And you know what what really is explored in this report is uh how the, the nature of that, you know, that re, those relative advantages around the world change when we redefine the economics of energy under the, re, this new re, renewable paradigm. And what, what what the report demonstrates is that Australia really stands to be a prominent nation in that new era.
0: Future's tuned in. We're talking to Gerard Drew about the BZE report, the superpower report that he authored.
2: Jared, uh, we've covered the possibilities of supply of renewable energy and um, you've, you've said a couple of times it's effectively limitless. Coming to the second half of the question for this program, we currently export vast amounts of coal, amounts of coal and gas, which is easy because it's a physical product. How can we now export renewable energy? At, at first sight, that looks much trickier. Obviously, we're not gonna, it's not going to be practical to um, charge up batteries and put them on fleets of ships or anything. But um it turns out from your work that there are a lot of lot of ways we can export this renewable energy, aren't there? Uh
1: there's there's a variety of ways. It's interesting actually when I wrote this report, I th- I thought that this was the most disinteresting element of it, this this prospect of exporting energy as a commodity and, and rather the reconfiguration of energy economics across the world and how that how that played out was the, the far more yeah. interesting aspect, mm-hmm. and just thinking about you know your question in particular about uh, this trade in in energy, you know even before we consider th- the export of a of a new commodity in the future, just considering we we trump up this notion of being a you know a, a big energy exporter, but really what we have to come to terms with is our net exports of energy in this country are not as great as we believe them to be. And that, that's because yes, we do export a lot of gas and a lot of coal, a lot of both of those things, but we also import a lot of oil. And that's a that's a new realisation for this country because it's only like
2: forty billion, isn't it? Forty billion dollars worth.
1: That's right, and, and growing markedly. So mm-hmm. we were pretty self sufficient up until the turn of the millennium. And since then we've you know, what happens with fossil fuels is you deplete them. And so now we're a vastly growing importer of, of oil and that really offsets this, what is believed to be fabulous net
2: benefit of energy exports. Because and we hear the figures trumpeted of, of record 60 billion of exports of fossil fuels, but that's not offsetting the 40 billion. No one talks imports. about
1: the imports of yeah. oil. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the world is changing and decarbonising and, and the first one to get kicked out is going to be coal and the second one's going to be gas and the last one's going to be oil and we export coal gas and import oil so the last thing on that agenda is us having a huge import debt Mm -hmm. of uh, of oil and you know a proactive transition from oil to electricity in our transport sector will really offset that what is uh, an economic and perish the thought a security risk in yeah. awful circumstances
0: and what you said earlier about the uh, the fact that we've got limitless energy opportunities in the re- renewables area means that, you know everybody talks about this getting to 100% renewables but in fact why can't we get to 200% or 400% or 600% what there's nothing stopping us obviously and then the export opportunities are limitless
1: yeah, well, I suppose people have to comprehend the maths that you're talking about. There, K, in in terms of, of course, a hundred percent is a hundred percent, but that's all you've all you've got. But there's there's, there's possibility for that's us to grow the the pie, so to speak, mm. from you know a hundred percent of our current pie. Uh, we we can grow that pie, and, and and that can all be renewable, and you know, which, which is more than a hundred percent of what we currently use. So, I mean, there's vast potential if if we take the opportunity to prepare for it. But, uh, you know, we're really squandering that hand over fist at the moment because it's, it's an opportunity that is really seeded early uh, with planning because it's built into your infrastructure. And unlike fossil fuels, the whole economic outcome is built into the upfront investment because there's no, there's no ongoing fuel cost over the long term to do mm. something smart and clever about and, and manage that. You, you spend all your money putting the putting the gear in the ground and then you reap the reap the energy that flows down on you but if if you're unwise about how you how you go about that first investment and overpay or you know do it in an uncoordinated way which you know isn't very productive in the end then that that's all sunk up front so if you're unwise about it you know, which we are being at the moment. We're very chaotic in this country about energy policy, and it's confusing. And people doing what as best they can amongst that confusion. And you know, we're paying high prices for what could be you know in a, in a rational, you know, very plain and clear trajectory. We could be making much more uh, cost-effective investments, and and we're really squandering that opportunity.
2: So we we take your point a that we need to go hundred percent. Of our current electricity and and the growth, and B the, the the very valid point you make about the transport sector and replacing that forty billion of import fuel costs um, with electricity. But looking beyond that, can we just use the the last uh, bit of this program to look at the possibilities of when we go beyond that and actually generate excess renewables and the sort of ways we can export those renewables? So one of one of the things, and Professor Gano's series is also talking about this too. One of the obvious ways is actually exporting it directly as electricity, joining our grid with the um, Southeast Asian grid, and being able to export to all those Southeast Asian countries. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's. And One, that was in your report, wasn't it? That, it sure is. What Indonesia's going to need and, and above that?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, you know, Indonesia's going to try and do what they can do within their own borders before they look at what they s- source from, from elsewhere. But, you know, it's, it's been talked but about... they're using for, a lot of coal, aren't they? <laughs> they are, they mm-hmm. are. I mean, they're, they're looking. I mean, they've they've got an above... They've got all an all-options-on-the-table kind of a policy. They're, you know, dragging themselves up and hopefully they see the, see the light and and green that up a little, a little but you know th- this this notion of a supergri an Asian supergrid has been talked about for um well, some of it some exists decades already, really it? yeah there's there's been a bit of a program and it's co- it comes in fits and starts you know it depends on the the political inclinations of who's in power in which region at the time but there there's been a collective effort to try and build like in europe i suppose mm. a, a an interconnected mm. system that they can yeah. all Take a benefit out of having the, you know, that network yeah, effect, and, and it's resources. doable
0: technology. We mm. do it from, to Tasmania,
1: power lines, to yeah. and from Tasmania. Yeah,
0: right. yeah. Well, let's talk about the big one that everybody's talking about: hydrogen. Because in November 2017, the Hydrogen Council, which is a global coalition, issued a report claiming that hydrogen could cover. 18% of the world's final energy demand by 2050 creating a, a an American 2.5 trillion dollar industry and 30 million jobs. So Australia in your report could have a piece of that.
1: Yeah, so I mean to whatever extent there's a there's a market for hydrogen in the future that trades and and is shipped around around the world, you know, Australia's going to be a competitive player in that for sure. Uh, just by way of our potentially very competitive primary energy which goes into electrolyzing hydrogen out of water from clean mm-hmm. electricity that 's right but you know I, I think that 's going to be a last resort is it, this trade of, uh, of of hydrogen commodity and uh, at the at the moment, I was really surprised when researching this report that almost half of all tons on ships transported around the world is fossil fuels, and uh, most of that is crude oil, and uh, I I, I don't think that we can expect that that's going to be substituted by hydrogen, and I'd I'd much rather see half of the tonnes
2: disappear and people use the energy that's raining down on them than... But people like Japan, countries like Japan and Korea that are committed to a hydrogen economy are looking to nations like Australia to actually supply some of that hydrogen,
1: yeah, I think that uh, it may be there, probably will be there. And, you know, t- to the extent that it's a useful source of energy in the future, then all power to it. I think it's going to be a more niche product than its primary kind of commodity in the future. I, I may be wrong about that. And, you know, it's if it's clean, I'm for it. And if it works, you know, all power to it. But uh, I think that uh, nations will look to exploit the, the the resources that are surrounding them with their own borders before they resort to this uh, at large scale
0: so and i take your point but um the h2u CEO, dr Pigneri, said the cost of hydrogen generated from electrolysis using cheap wind and solar energy was now comparable to the cost of natural gas in south australia so it sounds like if that's true that using hydrogen would be a very good thing
1: Possibly, if it's yeah, if it's if it's competitive, then then use it by all means.
0: And also, using it in terms of gener- steel generation.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, that's a possibility. I'd I'd like to see the uh, the technology developed further. Yes, I, I believe it was Syro who mm-hmm. were looking into using hydrogen in production of steel. It's a it's a process of Removing oxygen from
2: reducing with hydrogen instead of with carbon so that 's right it 's the process yeah
1: the, the the need for carbon in this in the steel production you know converting from iron ore, you have to remove mm. the oxygen from the ore to get iron, and that's you know you, you, you add a different element in there to extract oxygen out of there, and that 's what they use carbon to mm. pull carbon dioxide yeah. out and yeah. you can use hydrogen and pull hydrogen.
0: So instead of exporting our iron ore we just generate much more steel and value add to the pro- product and then export that.
1: That's, that's right we had it we had a very productive steel sector and then we sent it offshore and we could pull that back and have much lower carbon steel production here.
2: Jared, we've got less than two minutes left I very quickly want to cover other possible ways of exporting excess renewable energy so biomass and biofuels the possibility of Making methane or um, making ammonia, which then is, is carbon neutral, did you consider those? Are they options for us exporting energy? Oh
1: yeah, yeah there's, you know, I think these are all sort of like increasingly niche applications but important because there's lots of challenging... Methane end- and ammonia aren't really niche. <laughs> uh, ammonia is certainly not. And methane, you know, hopefully it becomes more niche. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the the number of applications that really need these types of energy, I think, will be reduced as we shift to a more electrified energy Mm -hmm. system. You know, in Australia we can transfer a lot of our industry and and end uses to to electricity and and others will do the same. So what's what's left for, you know, gas that is burnt will be reduced, hopefully.
2: Mm. So I wanted to cover recycling, but I think we're out of time. But the last one, following on from Kay's point about steel... Other manufactured products such as aluminium, which is is rightly known as, as solidified electricity because of the energy it takes to do it, things like carbon fibre, they can be industries that we could actually build up in Australia, and and by exporting those products, we're effectively exporting our renewable energy.
1: That's right. That's that's a very important point in the report. Unfortunately, we don't have much time to delve into it anymore. But uh, yeah, anything energy intensive. We should be very competitive at and all of those products you know australia can be a a natural home for the production of
2: okay thank you um we as usual always run out of time when we're just getting really into things obviously the best place or a a great starting place for for listeners is to go to the renewable energy superpower report which can be downloaded from the bzd website but also um the Professor Garno's lecture series is coming out as a book, I believe, and, and you work with him, don't you?
1: That's right. Actually, Professor Garno provided a lot of advice in the production of my own report, mine and all the volunteers that contributed to it. So it's not surprised. surprise. I kind of consider them like sister publications.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Jared, congratulations on that report. It really was a groundbreaking report and the term superpower has now been used and parried around endlessly by the politicians. So well done. Yeah. Great. Thank you. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of this show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week.
1: Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bz.e.org.au